0: Well, kia ora to Ganesh Nana, who is the Chair of the Productivity Commission. Welcome to the kāka.
1: Kiora, ora, Bernard. Good to be here.
0: I'm curious about 2022, sure. and because I've got a bit of an economics background, sure. I know that productivity in the end is the only thing that really, really matters. <laughs> so 2022, how productive was it for the Productivity Commission?
1: Well, it was a, a a bit of a step up for the productivity commissions. Uh, f- uh, f- I suppose it's the first year since a uh, couple of years before that that we've got back to a a full house in the sense of two running two inquiries at the same time. Um, so it's been a bit of a I suppose shift up in the gears, and we delivered the uh, our inquiry into immigration, um, the long term settings required, and that got delivered. I think it was April. to to ministers, Um, still waiting on the official response from government on that, and we're really keen to hear how that's landed with government, uh, focusing on that long-term stuff. Um, We also heard back from government about uh, our Frontier Firms inquiry that got delivered last year, and we heard back from them about how they received that, and that was promising, and they've asked us to come back uh, in a year's time to look at uh, how government is going in terms of the recommendations that we suggested, and so that that work is happening now in terms of our, I suppose our post review review of the government's response, and so that's been going for the last few months, and we'll be delivering on that last year uh, early in the new year, and then um, throughout this year we've been uh, active on the fair chance for all, breaking the cycle of dis- persistent disadvantage that many in our community face and that's been ongoing and we delivered uh, the interim report uh, for that in September to ministers and, and that's been publicised and then now we're in the midst of a, or just completed the, the, that post-interim report submissions process and lots of um, feedback that we are now, I suppose, assessing, analysing, kind of collating and, uh, and um, seeing how that will feed through into our final report. Which will be delivered back to ministers in the, early in the new year, um, and then latterly um, we've cranked up a new inquiry about resilience to supply chain shocks, and we received uh, finalised terms of reference from ministers. I think that was in October or November, and we're cranking that up with a uh, issues paper to be released in February next year. So it's been uh, it feels like a busy year and it has been a busy year and I say all of that and once it, it has been a pretty challenging year as well but uh, um, yeah we're quite keen on what we're doing and I suppose outside of that there is our, our regular productivity by the numbers that we're cranking up and that'll get delivered uh, also early next year.
0: So it's been a big one but it's been a big one for the global economy Isn't in it? the sense of yeah. shocks And you mentioned the supply chain inquiry, which was your new, new thing uh, in the second half of the year. And I wanted to unpick this issue of supply chains and shocks to the economy, the global economy and our economy, because this is something relatively new for a generation who have gotten used to everything being on the shelves when you need it probably sure. just jumping on an app and ordering something up always assuming that everything's gonna be on sale all the time <laughs> and, and thinking about the economy mostly from the demand side that Absolutely. the thing to react to, to plan for, to stimulate, to control is demand and this time around though particularly with COVID but also with the war in Ukraine we've had supply shocks and it's a new thing for a lot of people. And I think maybe it confused a lot of people when they're thinking about the world of, you know, what's the reason for this or the reason for that? And how do we respond to it? I'm I'm curious about the supply shock from COVID. It's early days, I know, to sure, analyze these sure. things. Productivity is a, a, a ephemeral long-term beast. <laughs> sure. But... What's your feeling about how COVID has been a supply shock and, you know, how that has worked its way through the economy into our sure, lives and, sure. and businesses? And I,
1: and I think it's, um, it probably ages me as, it, as uh, to say it, but I'm probably one, as a diehard macroeconomist, I suppose, it's, it is a little bit frustrating for um for us to misunderstand the simple difference between a demand side shock and a supply side shock and I'm probably old enough again showing my age to remember a, recall a supply side shock and I suppose the 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 oil price shocks of the the 70s as far back you probably need to go but to recognize that the the economic instruments or the levers that you push and pull or pull um, does depend on the, the source of the shock, and it is frustrating that we continue to use our demand side levers to respond to supply side shocks, and it does um, does mean I think that we do need to think about those levers, and indeed think that um, think through or go back to our training about supply side shocks, and undoubtedly, um, if we're looking at a supply side shock. It does mean we've got to think about the long term, especially about productivity. And you're you're talking the elephant in the room. You're talking about inflation. Now, inflation can come from a supply-side shock, and that's what we're facing. And to me, that goes back to my training. The fundamental um, solution, if you like, for inflation has always been productivity gains. Uh, And that goes back to square one. If a supply-side shock... Uh, hits an economy, you have to look at productivity. That's how you get past supply side shock. It does mean, unfortunately, that there are things that are not going to be available in the short term. It does mean there are going to be short term consequences to this sort of shock, but you can't paper over those consequences through just demand side levers. You have to then confront the supply side. Um, and bear, dare I say it, those productivity challenges that um, I suppose we have put off for too long um, because we've always been confronted with demand side shocks and we thought we could just get through by um, pushing and pulling those demand side levers.
0: It's really interesting this idea of um, short term and long term and demand side and supply side. And in a way, the demand side is by its nature quite often short term and the supply side by its nature is mostly long term -term. and and our political economy has become quite compressed 24-7 news cycle, three year election cycle where the responses are almost always framed as well all I can do is something in the short term right now (laughs) but maybe if we have a supply shock which is a long-term supply shock, maybe the responses should be long-term ones. I'm, I'm curious they have if, to be.
1: yeah they have to be. And, and, and even with even without the supply chain shock, I think that's the role of the Productivity Commission if we're serious about productivity uh, and we should be, and it's even more important with supply chain shocks is looking for that long-term solution um, and framing it in the long-term context and so there and that's where i'm quite keen and quite um, i suppose uh, excited about um, the work we've done to date in terms of framing productivity in that long-term context for example in our frontier firms inquiry in terms of our immigration inquiry the recommendations are very much in terms of long-term immigration inquiry that long-term government policy statement that we want to okay, whatever immigration policy we might choose has to be framed in the long-term investment uh, infrastructure uh, requirements and needs and where is the plan for that alongside the plan for immigration. Similarly, frontier firms, if we're serious about productivity, where is the investment in science and R&D in terms of the fair chance for all inquiry, very much framed in that long-term analysis that long-term challenge about workforce development about investment in our social infrastructure in terms of social cohesion part of the the i suppose part of the um uh the or not the outcome but that 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 covid uh reinforcing just how important our social cohesion is and i remember a financial times editorial right at the very beginning in april 2020 which brought to bear the the frailty of the social contract that the the pandemic has brought about and recognising that pandemics, supply chain shocks do impact differentially across different communities and so our response has to acknowledge that that differential impact and that's where those demand side levers don't work very well, you know, the macroeconomic levers are very blunt it just hits across the macro economy and doesn't recognise those those differential, dis, distributional impacts. And I think that's where you know the Productivity Commission needs to be at the forefront and hopefully is, alongside, dare I say, the Infrastructure Commission, uh, to reinforce that we've got to be serious about investment for the long term. If we're going to be serious about productivity, if we're going to be, take the lessons from supply chain shocks that are not going to recede, take the lessons from pandemics um, it's a bit frustrating that it's taken those sorts of things to bring those long term challenges to the forefront and I haven't even talked about the elephant in the room about climate change um, if we're serious about those challenges we have to shift our mindsets to the long term and it's not just the political economy version of the world, I talk about businesses and the business community as well driven to you know 24-7 reporting to the stock market in terms of impacts does that Help with our long-term fo- the the much required and needed long-term focus, and that's where the, I suppose the ESG models. Um, some will poo-poo them. I think they are critical of business community in terms of social contracts. Recognise these challenges for the long term as governance at the board table. We have got to start talking about investment in social contracts, investment in our workforce, investment in R&D for the long-term a lot more seriously than we have in the past.
0: You mentioned the Infrastructure Commission there and that's been the other um, big chunk of work that's come out of the, um, you could call it the long-term advice community for the government uh, this year. And in particular, uh, they've pointed out our infrastructure deficit and in a way has uh, echoed some of the Productivity Commission's comments around planning for the long term and thinking about population growth and thinking about what is it we want and how do we what tools do we want to use to respond to that or to get ready in advance of it. I'm curious you mentioned that um, you know maybe we haven't been very good at uh, thinking about the long run and the supply side can you just remind people particularly on R&D but also Infrastructure and those sorts of public frameworks underneath an economy that make us all more productive, and that maybe that that web that um, that net has got a few holes in it and hasn't c- quite got the um, the springiness and the the um, comprehensiveness that it used to have.
1: Well, I think you know, as, as you mentioned, the that, that infrastructure deficit that the infrastructure commission as is, is a clear glaring example of just how much we have um, skimped and saved on arguably skimped and saved on um, in, investment um, and uh, you know, the other side I suppose is investment in R&D and in New Zealand is, has been is miserable compared to the OECD average for example and compared to what it should be if we were serious about productivity gains. Where does productivity gains come from? It comes from investment in where that infrastructure is the, the the bricks and mortar, public transport, roads, communications, pipes um, or whether it be in the, that, that entrepreneurial skill, skills in terms of thinking about new ways of doing things and that comes from R&D, it comes from entrep- investment in entrepreneurial skills, investment in our people in terms of workforce those sorts of things don't happen magically. They require investment and effort over the long haul and, and that's where we have been. Um, I suppose, dragging the chain because we thought we could manage our way out of the short-term consideration, these short-term challenges, and somehow the 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 long-term challenges would take care of themselves. Well, uh, hopefully, the last few, the experience of the last few years have have made us realise that um, that we can't put off those long term challenges anymore. And I'd say, you know, those long term challenges have always been, well, not always, but in the in the recent past, have been held hostage to our short term demand management cycles.
0: Yeah, um, I'm interested in uh, that underlying infrastructure and how it may not have seemed. A particularly short-term juicy thing to do when it was done but many years down the track it turns out boy glad we had that and I'm thinking of the UFB network in particular Mm, so this is a great example where the public sector and you know uh, the uh, what was then the national government under John Key decided to spend a billion dollars of public money to underwrite a rollout of public infrastructure which was the fibre network Uh, luckily our rollout seemed to go faster and better than some others (laughs) elsewhere in the world Australia for example had some trouble and it sort of happened uh, because some, a politician and a government pushed for it and made it happen and then we sort of forgot it was there but then on March the 25th Twenty twenty, when our social contract said we need to go home and work from home and we needed to spend a lot more time at home and we all went to our devices to do our work and to play and to learn and to uh, do all of those things and magically, and this for me is one of the great untold and um, great... stories. Yeah. Is that yeah. Our social fabric and our economic fabric coped with the shock. We had the resilience because the net, literally the internet, (laughs) was underneath us and it had been built by a government and not, uh, you know, a government who, you know, from a side of politics that wouldn't normally, you know, invest in that sort of thing, but they did and it worked and it meant that a whole bunch of businesses, government departments, schools, almost magically were able to migrate into the cloud, if they hadn't already, mm-hmm. and they could only really do that because of that underlying network. And you wonder if there are other opportunities to invest in that underlying network, be it a, a social contract that's a soft sure. thing, it's not a hard piece of fiber, but it's actually a soft thing that means that if there's another shock, we, we have some resilience, the, the net. Gives a bit,
1: and I think that's that's the um, I, I, I think that's the the question and the conversation we have to have um, in terms of our and, and sort of call it strategic thinking, uh, and, and and again some people will poo poo that, but it's it is important that whether you call it a plan or a strategy that we do have a sense of a direction for the country, and I, and I suppose that net that you talk about or that. public sector investment effort, uh, I would put that I suppose very much similar to what we propose in in our Frontier Firms Inquiry in terms of investment in an innovation ecosystem and that that does require a public sector role and function alongside the private sector, alongside our communities, alongside Māori and iwi and the workforce Um, but it requires that impetus and whether we like it or not, New Zealand is relatively small and it is the public sector that has the, the grant to, to take that first step and provide that impetus for that net, like that, that uh, ultra-fast broadband uh, scenario, uh, example that you gave before. And I think that's where we need to think a lot more strategically about the public sector role and function uh, in terms of those investments and, and Um, and I've said before, investments are critical and we can argue about whereabouts and what form but I think uh, from a New Zealand perspective it needs to be a lot more, not just whereabouts it does need to be, whether you talk about investment in R&D or whether you talk about investment in the bricks and mortar as per the Infrastructure Commission it does signal that okay, we can argue about where but we need to scale that effort up a lot more and that goes with Uh, very consistently with the argument about uh, fighting inflation. If you're serious about fighting inflation what we need to do is take the heat out of the consumption basket and put it in the investment basket Uh, and that we haven't got the tools. Monetary policy doesn't do that well because monetary policy just slams down on investment across the board arguably it's using interest rates it hurts investment and exporters a lot more than it hurts consumers so we need another lever or another tool to actually shift that demand but I'm not overly keen on taking demand out of the system I'd like to shift that demand away from consumers away from me going out there and buying the best and brightest thing and more towards businesses and exporters to invest in innovation and ecosystem and develop exports that will uh, see us through not just the next supply shop but see us through in the next couple of generations and so that's the, that's the shift that we need within our, if you're serious about responding to the lessons from COVID, yes investment investment should not be choked off, investment in R&D, investment in that social contract, investment in our workforce, investment in giving all of us a fair chance
0: Yeah, I'm I'm curious about those decisions that we make between investing for the long term or consuming for the short term. And as a society, we often have debates and our government is the one who expresses our decisions about how we approach that. And when there's a shock and a crisis, that often forces us to have those debates. So I'm thinking in particular of the 70s and 80s. The early 70s was a supply shock. Absolutely. Um, and then through the, through the 80s, there were all sorts of um, shocks which led to high inflation and uh, a response, which at the time assumed that we were a relatively stable population that for the previous 30 or 40 years, up until 1980 or so, we had, quote, over invested (laughs) in our our economy and we'd built too many dams and, you know, uh, driven roads through too many backyards and we needed to stop all that investment and we needed to have lower taxes and we needed to be able to consume more and live for the now because we didn't need to worry about lots and lots of growth because not many people were going to come to New Zealand, we had an aging population and therefore we didn't need to invest in it. The real focus for a government making those choices about long-term versus short-term that the government should refocus on the short-term and in particular build the economic frameworks for managing any shocks and focusing on demand management which is what we ended up with with the Reserve Bank Act and what became the official cash rate.
1: And, and well, I think that was consistent with what was happening around the globe. Yeah, yeah. So we were not uh, we were not doing that on our own. Uh, it is now, uh, again, uh, reflecting around the globe on what's happening about just how, I suppose, constrained our economic levers are now in responding to a supply shock. And so that is creating a lot of rethinking uh, around the globe. And uh, I think New Zealand needs to be part of that and recognise that Yes, and that's and a cliche, but this time it's probably right that the world has changed quite considerably, uh, and it does require a rethink about our economic tools. Um, I'm 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 assured. I, I'm optimistic in the sense that we do now have a uh, a bit more of a focus on that long term because those challenges are literally staring us in the face. But I also a bit. Um, uh, uh, I suppose, reassured about um, some of the things that are happening within the public sector to build in some of that long-term capability. For example, long-term insights briefings that now government agencies have to, or government departments have to put out. Now that that provides the seed for the public sector and public sector officials to provide a lot more strategic long-term advice uh, to governments and to ministers. Uh, and then, alongside, um, hopefully, well, definitely, alongside productivity commission, infrastructure commission, to provide that that balance to that short term uh, thinking that that we've uh, that many of us have fallen into, into I suppose. Um, but there is, you know, there are pluses and there are minuses. But I think that 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 long term thinking somehow we've got to reclaim that. Um, and I would add that the one, I, I suppose, the one. Well, not the one, but one of the key uh, elements on the horizon that I take a lot of heart from is the re-emergence of our Māori economy and re-emergence of many within Māoridom to re-emphasise their values and their plans and how they do business. Because, And you can argue whether it's rose-tinted glasses or not, but there is inherent within Māoridom a much longer-term horizon in terms of thinking and strategy that is currently embedded in the non-Māori, that is not embedded in the non-Māori economy, or businesses call it what you like. And and I think there's something there that we can take uh, heart from if we open our minds to literally what's on our doorstep when we're thinking about business models, economic models. Um, How do we respond to challenges? just finally you know
0: if we are going to have this debate about um you know inventing new levers pulling them differently from a supply side long-term point of view what are the sorts of you know levers we should be thinking about either inventing or, or pulling
1: well that's um yeah, that's a key to our i suppose our resilience inquiry that we are uh, just embarking on now and there's a uh, there's, the, I suppose, there's the knee-jerk response of um, let's have a whole stockpile of everything that we know we can't do out, can't do without. So we'll have a stockpile of coffee um, for the next, uh, and and so there's arguments in that regard. But I, I'm, I think there, there's a lot more nuances that we've got to think of in, in terms of the, the the world for the next thirty to forty, if not fifty years. Um, you know, there, there's talks about free-shoring and offshoring and all of those sorts of things. There is, though, there's other opportunities, whether it be about, for example, just transitions, because we're talking about for, if, if we recognize um, that we are going to be vulnerable to supply chain shocks, does that require a reorienting of our, the structure of our economy, the structures of our sectors and our industries? Are we talking about industry policy? Are we talking about just transitions? Are we talking about economic development, regional development, stretch, those sorts of things? So, um, I've got an open mind. The Productivity Commission have got an open mind about what sort of levers do we think about when we're talking about an economy that um, that does need to think about resilience now. And I think that's another plus from uh, from the uh, coming out of COVID. As pre-COVID, we'd never think about resilience, I and mean, it was all about it was all about efficiency. You know, running things lean and mean. Now, perhaps there's an argument. Well, maybe. Arguably, there's some benefits of leaving some meat on the bone rather than running things as as lean as possible. You know, argue there are costs involved in running, keeping some, you know, some would argue lazy balance sheets or some would argue, you know, a little bit of meat on the bone, but, you know, it got us through COVID, so maybe we need to think a little bit more strategically about whereabouts or what do we want to um, allow for resilience as well as being efficient,
0: so that's for next year um, moving from just in time to just in case um, yeah
1: we've had that yeah sort <laughs> of yeah they, those cliche, those things have come in front of us yes yeah.
0: uh, Ganesh Nana thank you so much thank for uh, a review of 2022 and a, and I, I love the um, debate shifting from how do we move our demand levers now to deal with this inflation pain right now to how do we use our Supply levers, or maybe invent new supply levers that um, deal with a supply shock by helping to lift supply in the long, long run. it's a quite a different way of framing the, the debates. Thank, thank you. Thank, thank you very much. thank you.